0: Good morning, everyone. So good to see each one of us here back in the house of God. How has your week been? How many of you had a good week? Would you say amen? Amen. Amen. The rest of you probably had a week like mine, (laughs) which was interesting because uh, I didn't realize last weekend when I was preaching that I was actually coming down with the flu because my nose was running. I didn't pay much attention to it. On Monday... (laughs) I was having a fever in the evening, so I took a Panadol, you know, and kind of like, it was okay, slept through the night, and rest of the week, uh, we just went through everything as usual, very mild symptoms, but I'm sure you know my voice is a little bit different, is it? Correct? I can hear a little bit too, all right, but more so the last few days, but uh, we'll see how it goes if I, if I cough a little bit, you know why, Okay. But otherwise, everything is fine. Praise God. Now, as we start to look at the Word of God today, I want to ask how many of you remember what are the first things you learned when you went to school or when you went to kindergarten? Even before kindergarten, what are the first things that you have to learn in terms of curriculum? You learn to count one, two, three. And then you learn the, what, alphabets. Okay, now, since this is family worship, we have uh, some children with us. uh, And this whole month, by the way, until the first weekend of January, is family worship. Uh, Children's church starts on the second weekend of January. So we, we welcome all the children. Come on, give them a hand. All the children that are with us. Yes. All right. Okay, we will ask the children here, if you are in sixth church and and younger, to recite the A B C's, okay, to help the adults. Okay. Are you ready, children? Can you say yes? Are you all? Where are you children? Say yes. Yeah, some over there. Alright, let's go. A. B. C. Come on, louder. E. Louder? G. Louder, K, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Okay, now, uh, why is that important? Why do we memorize the order of the alphabets? Because so much of life is arranged around the order, like the number plates on the car. You know, you know that if a car number plate starts with, uh, or rather the second number plate, P, you know, let's say PH, you know, oh, this car is about 20, uh, 15 years old. Right? So, and then you look for addresses, some houses, some areas, like my area, the numbers are a number followed by an alphabet. So you need to know the alphabet to know where is the house you are going to. So numbers and alphabets are important as they help us to order life. And sometimes uh, we use aids to help us memorize. For example, A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P. you know? Still remember? How many of you sang that before? Right, so uh, sometimes singing it also helps us to remember. Now. For children who come from the Hebrew background, once they have learned their alphabets, they can easily memorize about seven psalms because these seven psalms are called alphabetic psalms where the first word of every new line or new double line or new paragraph or strophe starts with the next letter of the hebrew alphabet for example the first word will start with aleph okay and then we have the next alphabet what is it bet okay and then gimel It's a bit strange but it's not c right then dalet okay so some of it is not the same order as we have in english and there are 22 And so today we want to look at one alphabetic psalm, which is also a very useful prayer, which I personally have gone back to pray this prayer at different times of my life when I, you know, felt lost and confused and needing direction and wisdom. So it's a very powerful prayer that's contained within a psalm written by David. So open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 25. And I want to encourage you to keep it open to Psalm 25 if you have a physical Bible and if you have an electronic uh, version in your phone, mobile, that you please keep it open and not turn to a game or to a WhatsApp or whatever other programs you may have there. Because we are going to be looking at the psalm, the different verses along the way, which will not be on the screen. So I want to train you to refer back to your Bible, otherwise you get lazy, you know, everything is on the screen. It's like watching a movie, you know. Just passively, you know, absorbed. We need to interact with the Word of God. So... Would you stand with me now as we read Psalm 25 out loud? And as we read them, I want you to just pay attention to the fact of how many verses there are. Now, I told you Hebrew has how many alphabets? 22. Okay? So, each of these verses, more or less, With a few exceptions, though, right? We'll start with the next alphabet of the Hebrew alphabet. But, of course, you don't know it because it's translated into English. But let's read it. And as you read it, I believe the Holy Spirit will hide some of these words in your heart so that when you need it, it will come back to you. And that's the way God works, you know? It's very strange, huh? Uh, The last couple of... uh, weeks or more, uh, when I'm seeking God, God, you know, what would you say to your your people? And quite often, in the middle of the night, when I go to the toilet, you know, it will drop from heaven, you know, (laughs) a word, a verse, you know. So you don't know when it will come back to you, but when it does, it's when you need it. Can I say amen? So I want you to read it now with all your heart, okay? Are you ready? Let's go. to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness' sake, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble, he guides in justice. And the humble, he teaches his way. All the parts of the Lord are mercy and truth, to, keep, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, "'Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. "'Who is the man that fears the Lord? "'Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. "'He himself shall dwell in prosperity, "'and his descendants shall inherit the earth. "'The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, "'and he will show them his covenant. "'My eyes are ever toward the Lord.' For he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me. For I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain. And forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for there are many... And they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. Notice how many verses there are? 22. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit... To hide these words in our hearts and give us understanding and encourage us to always humble ourselves before you, seek you when we face difficulties and troubles in life and to trust in you because you are the God, our salvation. Speak to us. May the name of Jesus be glorified among us because we ask this in Jesus' name. All of us, we will say it. Amen. Please be seated. All right. So, now I want to make just five points from these 22 verses so, so that we organize our thoughts, right? The, the Psalms are written in such a way that uh, sometimes, because it's poems, remember, different ideas and themes are introduced And then they can be reintroduced. So you find the same idea in the first part, then in the second part, maybe even the third part. So uh, it's a challenge to outline any psalm because of that. But I have just tried to kind of like group those ideas and themes into a few major ones. The first is this. What we can learn from this psalm is that believers can also have enemies. This is found in the first three verses and the last four verses, okay, of the psalm. So you can see the idea of enemies in the beginning and then enemies at the end, right? So it's some kind of uh, artistic expression. Now, how many of you, you say, Pastor Isaac, I thought as Christians, we're not supposed to have enemies, you know, we're supposed to love everybody. Say amen? You don't love everybody, huh? you don't have to like everybody, but you can love everybody because love is a choice, remember? Right? And you, you have to be honest sometimes, you know, some people you just don't like. Okay? And the Bible doesn't say like everybody. Jesus says love your enemies, right? So, but sometimes you love your enemies, but your enemies don't love you. And... If you are honest, every day when you go to work or you go to school, there could be people who do not like you either. And they, in fact, would like to see you fail in life or at least come behind them. It could be your classmates. It could be your colleagues who would like to be promoted over you. Or it could be your competitors in your business trying to get your customers to go over to their side. So David was facing enemies, scheming to defeat him at every turn. And he said, they are treacherous without cause, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. Now, at this moment when David wrote this psalm, it appears that His enemies had actually caught him. Because he prays, in verse fifteen, he says, "God shall pluck my feet." Look at it, verse fifteen in your Bible. Come on, verse fifteen. God shall pluck my feet out of the net, which means he was already caught in some scheme, and he's, you know, trying to get out of it. And in verse sixteen and seventeen, it tells us David is feeling lonely. And afflicted, and his troubles are actually getting worse, and not better, and he seems to be confused in the midst of his troubles and trials. Now, and this should surprise you and me because, you know, when you when we went through the period of uh, the kings, I remember two years ago, also uh, we preached through the Bible, and we looked at the kings of Judah, and we looked at the kings of Israel. And about half the kings of uh, Judah were good and half were evil. And then in the kings of, of Israel, the northern ten tribes, all of them were e- evil. Okay? So there were not many good kings, by the way. And David was one of the best kings that Israel ever had. And in fact, he walked with God from a youth, from the time he was very young. You remember that... You know, he volunteered to fight this giant by the name of Delilah. Some of you are waking up now. I thought it was Goliath. Yes. (laughs) He defeated the giant which could have been about nine foot tall. And he had a very vibrant trust in God. Very real relationship with God. Even at that and he was in his teenage, probably 15, 16. And David was the only man that God gave this commendation. God said, David is a man after my own heart. In other words, David has the same heart as I have. And he's, he's seeking my heart. You know, I, I think that's the highest praise that anyone can get whether you're a preacher or whether you are, you know, an engineer or whatever. If God says, you know, you are after my own heart, then I think, you know, you do not need any other commendation in life. And David was the only man whom God described that way. But as you read the Psalms written by David, you see that he was always being attacked by enemies. (laughs) They were giving him a lot of trouble. And by the time he wrote this psalm, he was probably in his 60s. And there was still so much trouble in his life. Now, what does that teach us? It means no matter how close you walked with God, you are never exempted from the trials of life. Some, people, some Christians think, oh God, I, I have been serving you all these years. I've been faithful to you. You know, I even served in PCC. You know, I'm more than I'm ushering. I am, you know, serving as a cell leader. I, I volunteer in front, at the back. You know, I give so much time. And why am I still facing so many of, of these trials and difficulties of life? Uh, well, don't be surprised because most of the godly men and godly women in the Bible went through trials and a lot of trouble. Now, David's enemies hated him because they hated his God. It's not just that they hated him personally. They hated what David stood for. And that is that he was a loyal servant of the true and living God who is holy. So they tried to defeat him because if they could defeat David, then they could discredit David's God as well. And they will prove that, hey, David, your God is not worth serving. You know, you you can't trust in your God. If they could defeat David, it would mean that, you know, there's no use for David to seek help from his God. May as well get help from, you know, men, from political alliances and use his own wit. So you can look at those verses and you can see how how David prays when he faces enemies. Look in verse 20. Look in your Bible, come on. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. right, next verse. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. So he, he is declaring, God, I am trusting in you. I am living an upright life as much as I can, I, and I'm choosing to do the right thing, so let me not be put to shame. Let not the people say, you know, he trusted in his God and is useless. Why trust in his God? May as well look after yourself. Okay, so David was a man who chose to do what was right, and he was loyal to his God. But his enemies were laughing at him. And essentially they were telling him, I paraphrase, you know, David, you're so naive, you're so foolish or so stupid to think that, you know, by choosing to do the right thing, by trusting in your God that you will win in life, you think your enemies will leave you alone? You know, (laughs) ha ha ha, David, welcome to the real world. This is the real world. Dog eat dog. Cat eat cat or so, maybe. I don't know, right? So, sometimes we have to make a choice, and early in life, we may be presented with these kind of choices. You know. Will I trust in God, or will I follow the ways of the world that says, you know, take advantage of everything. No matter whether it's right or wrong, as long as you get ahead in life, that is the, is the best cause. Well, I heard a testimony that recently the Form 3 exam, PT3, right? Is it called? PT3. The questions were leaked out and, you know, it was circulated widely. Huh? So almost every uh, Form 3 student sitting for the exam, they could just get a copy and they could prepare all the answers, you know, put them on... Uh, on their phone even or what, you know, and then when they came to the exam, they could just, you know, write all the correct answers. So uh, we have students who come to the family care center in McCallum, and one of them, one of the, the students was taking the PT3. So she was presented with this dilemma, this choice, you know, do I, you know, all my friends are doing it, you know, so do I take these questions and prepare so that I can score as well? And the, the teacher was discussing with her and challenged her, you know, trust God, just study hard and take the exam, do your best. You know, don't, don't look at this. So she decided that she would not look at the questions, even though it was available. You know, of course she felt frustrated. You know, it's like, how can this be? You know, we, we study so hard for this exam and then my classmates, they all, Get the questions, you know. And so, of course, it's a struggle. But she decided, even though she's 15, 16 years old, she decided, no, I will not. I will not do it. And so, it's a difficult choice to do the right thing. And maybe when her classmates hear about it, you know, I don't know what they will think of her. They might, be, they might think or even tell her, yeah, you're so stupid, uh, you can prepare all the right answers you can score a like us you know why do one after all who will know ah yeah like that you should sure lose to us one you know so it is a choice that we have to make sometimes early in life you're presented with this choice and you know as you as you go into the marketplace these kind of things will happen somebody comes to you and say hey Hey, I've got insider information. You buy this stock, tomorrow it will go up very high because the director told me that the company is going to make a big announcement. And once the announcement is made, it's too late to buy because all the, the shares will shoot up immediately. So, you know, this kind of insider information is like PT3. You are given the answers before it happens. So the question is this. Should we take advantage of such information? Because it's illegal. People can go to jail for it. Okay? So it's a dilemma in life whether we want to do the right thing or we want to follow the ways of the world and take advantage of whatever is thrown at us as long as we get ahead in life. So what did David decide? he decided that he will not allow his enemies to dictate to him the terms of the battle. He says to his enemies, yeah, you fight with me with treachery. One day you are my friend, next day you betray me. But I'm not going to deal with you that way. Okay? I will not come down to your level to fight with you. David decided in his heart... That he would not fight with those weapons that his enemies are using. By the way, this word is not very common. Treachery. What does, what does that mean? Treachery is behavior that deceives or is not loyal to someone who trusts you from the Cambridge dictionary. That means you know, they, his enemies were probably his friends before. And they betrayed him and they went against him and david says no i am not going to behave that way i will not follow the ways of the world i will not betray the trust of my friends or my god who trusted in me that i will be loyal to him that i will do what is right i'm not trusting in what this world can do for me i am trusting in my god so this is how david responded when he faced his enemies and his constant pressure to just stay alive sometimes. The second lesson we learn from this psalm is that we need to seek God for wisdom and guidance. Now, again, we see this this theme is repeated. Verse 4 and 5, again in verse 12, 13, 14, and 15, okay? So, This is his prayer in verse 4 and 5. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day." So what is David asking God for? Guidance. Say guidance. He wants to know the way to take he, he saying, God, would you show me which is the way? There's this way, there's another way, and there's another way that's even easier. Which way should I take? One of the reasons why God allows troubles in our lives is so that we will seek Him more. Because honestly, when life is going great, there is always a temptation to just take it easy. Relax. But when we face trouble, that's when we get on our knees more and pray. Isn't that true? So troubles help us realize how dependent we are on our God. And in seeking God for wisdom and guidance, we see David is persistent and patient. Again, it's repeated. Verse 5 and then again, verse 15. Verse 5, he says, "'On you I wait, I wait.'" all the day not five minutes ten minutes one hour no all the day verse 15 my eyes are ever toward the lord which is a sign of longing and hoping expecting and what he was waiting for was god's timing god's timing not the timing of men. we'll more on that later We see also David in seeking God for wisdom and guidance, he was penitent. In verse 8, he he says, God, you teach a certain category of people. Verse 8, what is it? Come on, look at verse 8 in your Bible. There's one kind of people that God loves to teach. What kind of people is it? It's spelled S, starts with S. Sinners! (laughs) Sinners? Sinners? Yeah, David said, "I qualify. God, I qualify. <laughs> Teach me, because I'm a sinner." He recognizes that he, 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 you know, he acknowledges that he's a sinner. And in verse nine, he teaches those who are humble and obedient. The humble he guides in justice. The humble he teaches his way. And verse twelve and fourteen tells us that David is reverent. Verse 12, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. So, you know, if you and I really want to receive guidance from God, these are the attitudes that we need in our lives. We need to be persistent. Say persistent. Don't give up. Patient. That means wait. Be willing to wait, all right? Let's say penitent. Obedient. Humble, reverend, okay? And there is one verse here that uh, explains why that's important and the kind of people that God will gladly share His secrets with, so to speak, right? So look at verse 14 now. I'll put it on the screen so that we can all see. it. And in the King James Version, that this translation goes like this the secret of the lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant now the word secret translated to english secret remember is in hebrew original so the hebrew word has the three alphabets the s-o-d okay and so when where is this word found again in other parts of the the bible That gives us a clue as to what is the actual meaning. Now, of course, uh, there is almost no... Some of the translation, there is no exact English word that conveys the idea in the Hebrew. Are you with me? So, different translations will choose different words depending on how they understand the original meaning. So, in essence, uh, all translations are... Some kind uh, require some kind of interpretation, except the literal translations like King James is literal, New American Standard Bible is literal. That means it is as much as possible word for word. That means they they use the same word that is in Hebrew and find the English word, even though it doesn't make sense. Okay, because their purpose is to just give you the accurate translation. So. Uh, then you have to kind of figure out, you know, how about what does this mean? Does it make sense, right? So some of the more dynamic equivalent, like uh, uh, the uh, very popular NIV, right, will try to substitute thought for thought rather than word for word. Now, this, this word is very interesting because it's found in Amos 3, seven, where it goes like this, "'Surely the Lord does nothing "'unless He reveals His secret.'" Okay, it's also translated secret again in the King James, Amos 3, 7. Again, from the same Hebrew word, S-O-D, to his servants, the prophets. So, God honors such reverence with his friendship. People who, who humble themselves, who walk with reverence before him, God says he trusts them with his secrets. Now, again, the, the, the word secret... Uh, can also be translated uh, council C-O-U-N-C-I-L as well as C-O-U-N-S-E-L so it's council and council okay, if I want to help you tell the difference right, now what is council C-O-U-N-C-I-L when you say, uh, okay the council is meeting We are talking about a circle of close associates, okay? So, which means then, God shares His his secrets with people who are close to Him, in that sense. Close associates. And the word counsel, it describes matters that are discussed with close associates, So. The two, the two words have related thoughts. Okay. And Jeremiah 23, 18 makes it clearer. For who has stood in the council? It's the same word in the Hebrew. Okay, of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word. So when God wants to do something, he will share his Secret or his plan with people whom he can trust, people who are close to him, people who honor him and reverence him. And remember the story when God wanted to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because their wickedness had come to the level where God says, Enough, right? So, but before that, God talked to one man. What's his name? Abraham. Look at in Genesis 18, 17. And the Lord said to Abraham, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Shall I hide from Abraham? You see, if you, if you have something really important and you want to tell someone, who do you tell? You tell someone who is very close to you, maybe your spouse or very close associate, Right? You will not tell just anybody. So, God told his fr- uh, Abraham, and uh, God describes Abraham as his friend, by the way. Abraham had this wonderful title, friend of God, okay? So, here is something that we learn. We need to seek God's guidance. But God shares His secrets with those who fear Him, those who walk, close to Him, those who are humble and willing to obey Him and walk in His ways. And number three, the the lesson we find here is this, we must always remember who God is. And when we remember who God is, we know we can trust Him. This is found in verses 6 to 10, okay? Now, David reminds himself who God is. In the very first verse, look in your Bible, he says, God, I trust in you, which means God is trustworthy. Verse 6, he says that God has tender mercies and uh, compassionate and loving. And verse 8, he says, God, you're good. You're upright. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and true. And verse 11, he's forgiving. So in Psalm 25, there are so many attributes of God who He is. No wonder it's such a great prayer to pray when in trouble because when you pray this prayer, you're reminding yourself who God is, that He is a God who is compassionate, loving, good, merciful, just. Can you say amen? Amen. So I've gone back to this prayer many times in my life, okay, many times. David publicly declared his trust in his God, and now God's honor is at stake. Yeah, because David is saying, God, I've declared that's who you are. So God's honor is at stake because if David, if enemies defeat him, then he will be ashamed and God's, on, God's name will be dishonored. So all his prayer has to do with the name of God, the character of God. We don't just pray. We pray appealing to the character of God. So, do you know if you are trusting in God? Are you willing to wait for Him? Now, this is a, this is a theme that, you know, comes back to us. Trusting in God means waiting for God. Can you say Amen. Trusting in God means waiting for God. And the idea is repeated many times, verse two, uh, verse three. Let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Verse five on you, I wait all the day, 21, for I wait for you, 15, for my eyes are ever toward the Lord. So when you are seeking God and trusting God, you wait for God. You do not get ahead at any cost, you accept God's timing. you wait for God's timing. Now, there are two characters that help us understand the difference between waiting on God's time and not waiting for God's time. There was a king by the name of Saul, remember in the Bible, and Saul was asked by Samuel the prophet, you wait in this place, I think it was Gilgal, and I will come to you and then I'll sacrifice the burnt offering and then, you know, you can go to battle. But the Philistine army was surrounding them. And he waited and Samuel didn't come. He waited longer and Samuel didn't come. And finally, when he saw that his Israelite soldiers were kind of like melting away in fear he decided, I cannot wait anymore. I cannot wait anymore because if I wait anymore, I have no army left to fight. So he took the sacrifice. He offered the burnt offering, which was not lawful because, you know, even though he was a king, he was not allowed to do it. He was not willing to wait for God's time. And there were very serious consequences for that. You can read in your Bible. I hope to... Make you curious, okay? But in contrast, we see David. Now, David, after he slew Goliath, right? You say, wow, what a wonderful victory. Do you know that that was the beginning of his trouble? Sometimes the worst troubles in life comes after the best victories. Hello? Because... When the woman, when the, the soldiers came back, you know, to celebrate, the woman was singing and dancing, you know. And, they, and what did they sing? They sang the song. Saul, the king Saul, Saul has killed his thousands. And David has killed his ten thousands. And when Saul heard this, do you think he was happy? No, he said, what? I'm the king, you know. Who is this kuchi rat? Huh? This teenager. And they say, and they attribute to him killing 10,000 and me only 1,000. Wow, it means he's 10 times better than me. Huh? So from that day onwards, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You know, every time he's looking at the side of his eye, what's this fellow doing? You know? And he looked for an opportunity to kill him. Many times he could have killed David. So David finally had to run for his life. And he was running from cave to wilderness to, to unknown cities. And he was running like a fugitive, like a refugee. And in 1 Samuel 24, God arranged the circumstances in such a way that David had the chance to kill Saul because Saul was unguarded. And, you know, his soldiers, his bodyguards, you know, didn't do their job. And David said, no, I will not kill him because he's the Lord's anointed. He chose not to. Very strange, but then again in chapter 26, two chapters later, God gave him another opportunity to kill his enemy. Or he's not his enemy, but this, is, this guy treats him like an enemy and wants to kill him. So here is Saul sleeping in the cave. And look at verse uh, 20, verse 8 now. Abishai, you see Abishai, one of his commanders, had crept up together with David, right? And entered the cave where Saul was sleeping. And God had delivered, Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy. Actually, it's not, uh, actually, he was whispering because Saul was sleeping. God has delivered your enemy into your head this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with a spear right on the earth and I will not have to strike him a second time. Whoa, so tempting. So tempting. Do you know what went through David's mind? All these years running for his life and wherever he hides, sometimes people who protect him and give him food and shelter do not re- do not realize that you know that he's the enemy number one of the king and after he leaves then the king goes there and chops off the head off so innocent people have been dying because of the fact that you know he's running away so you know can you imagine what went through his mind you know here's Abishai telling him hey You know, this is your opportunity. You don't have to run for your life anymore. Immediately, your life will change. You know, you don't have to wait another two years to become Prime Minister of Malaysia. (laughs) You can be king now. Just give me the word. And I will strike him once and finish him off. And after all, they had, the prophet had anointed you to be king, you know. You are next in line. <laughs> okay, And now your time has come. So can you imagine how tempting this is for David to end his misery? What did he say to Abishai? Verse 9, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? He said that before, two chapters earlier, David said furthermore, now this is what really strikes me, you know? This is how David looked at his life and the sovereignty of God. He says, as the Lord lives, it's like he's swearing, okay? The Lord shall strike him. I don't want to strike him. The Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die. When will that come? I don't know. In Malay, it says sampai tua. Huh? It could be many years later. Hey, he's a young man still. Saul's not that old. Or he shall go out to battle and perish. So there are three scenarios here. But all of which involves the sovereignty of God and God's timing. In other words, David is saying, I, I will not make it happen, okay? Even though it's put on the platter for me, I will not take it because I want to trust in God's timing. I want to trust in God's timing because I know who He is. So trust in God is, it means waiting in hope for God's time, for God's time. And even when he wrote this psalm and as he finished writing this psalm, we know that the time had not come yet because his feet were still in the net, so to speak. Right? He was still waiting. So what assurance do you and I have you know, that we can actually wait for God's time? Well, Isaiah 30, verse 18. Now, this is a very good verse. You might want to mark it down. One of these days, you get impatient. You know, you might. Need to go back to Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord will wait. Huh? God, don't wait. (laughs) Please do it now. (laughs) But Isaiah says, therefore, the Lord will wait. (laughs) For what purpose? That he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted. You see, the whole point is this so that God will be glorified in the end. Can say amen. Because if God is glorified, then we know that our good is also assured. Can you say amen? Because the two go together. If it is really good for me, God will be glorified. If God is not glorified, it's not good for me either. So it says, therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. See, the two ideas are tied together. God's glory and his mercy. For the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are all those who what? Wait for Him. Can you say, amen. So you wait for Him. Okay, tell the person beside you, wait for God. Wait for God, yeah. And you can trust Him. And while you wait, this is how you pray. Look at the first verse. How, How did David pray? He said, To you, O Lord, I lift up my what? My soul. Now to lift up one's soul is basically an expression saying, God, I I am giving you my whole life. I'm giving you my whole life. I'm holding my life in my hand and giving it to you. Right, let's come on, lift your hand like that. Okay, let's do it. Right? Uh, yeah, that's a very good posture. Okay? It signifies holding one's conscious identity, one's life outstretched. To God in soul and complete dependence upon God and God's help, right? So, okay, you can put it down now. Now, that's why, you know, uh, in worship, we often lift our hands up because it's a biblical thing to do. It's a sign of surrender, okay? So, when, and sometimes we sing those songs, for, for example, uh, I mean, we may not sing this song, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You may not know the song, huh? Unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. That is a song, by the way, but we we don't sing it. But we sing other songs with the same meaning, like, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, right? You know that song, right? Okay. Now, if you sing a song like that, it's very similar to the psalm. How do you sing it and really mean it that God will take it seriously, you know? Do you, do you sing uh, the song that, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. Huh? Or, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. You think God's convinced? Huh? Or what about this? Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. So David says, "Unto you, O oh Lord, I lift up my phone." <laughs> Do you think God will take us seriously if we, if our posture does not match our words? Communication experts tell us that up to ninety percent of communication takes place through nonverbal. It's not just the words we say; the tone of voice is important, but also our posture. So, if our posture agrees with our words, then it has power and it's convincing, and God will take it seriously when we do that. Okay, now I must rush. Okay, number four. (laughs) What do we learn? Verse 11, 16 to 18. Sometimes we need to confess sin and ask God for forgiveness. In this psalm, David acknowledges a few times he's a sinner. He has transgressed, he has crossed over. God says, Do not enter. He crossed over. Okay, transgression. And uh, he says, My sin is great. So, you know, sometimes the enemies are not outside, the worst enemies are inside. Are you with me? Sometimes we are our worst enemies. I am my worst enemy. And it could range from just being foolish or careless to willful disobedience, you know. The whole range is there. I mean, sometimes we get in trouble because we are just careless laugh, forgetful. I mean, recently, Pastor Lydia and I, we were busy. Then we were talking. We were getting out of the house, you know, to, to go somewhere. And uh, our house is, such a, is designed in such a way that when we leave the house... We don't need a key. You know, we just open the door, slam the wooden door, you know, slide the gate, and padlock. The padlock doesn't need keys. Eh? So you can get out of the house without any key on you. Okay? So two of us, you know, we just get out, and then after we got out, then we went to the gate, the outside gate you know, between the, the house door, the compound you know, and, this, and the gate that leads us to the road and the car outside. And then we realize, hey, your key, ah? Huh? No, I thought you took the key. No, I thought you took the key. Ayuh, now we are stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know? I mean, between the, the house gate and the outside gate. So what do we do? The car is there. We have the car key, but we don't have the house key. We cannot get back into the house. We have spare keys inside, but we cannot get back in, and we cannot get into the car. So we can't go anywhere. So two of us are, you know, looking at each other, what to do, ah? Huh? Huh? Unto you, O oh Lord, do I lift up my soul? No, no, no. Thank God we don't have to pray because we can call our good neighbor John Sebastian because he keeps one of our spare keys because, you know, we are, some, we are often away, all right? And three or four times we have locked ourselves out, okay? Sometimes he's at home. Sometimes he's somewhere in town and he's so kind, you know, to rush back and free us, from our compound. You see, some of our troubles are caused by our own foolishness, for our own carelessness, you know. I mean, there are times when you, you pray and you ask God to guide you, but because, you know, you are a bit impatient or, you know, the, the person say, hey, today offer, you no, know? today you better buy, you know. You don't buy tomorrow no more. Oh, buy, buy, buy. Okay, buy, buy. Then after that, you realize, yeah, I shouldn't have bought. Uh. All right? So, sometimes we even pray and pray and pray and after that we decide yeah yeah okay now's the time and after you make the decision everything goes bad Say, god how can well it happens in life so what do you do humble yourself and maybe examine your heart as well god why am i in this mess is it because of my sin or carelessness what are you trying to teach me (laughs) Now a good prayer to pray during such times is found in verses 6 7 okay now look at it so it's a very confusing prayer this is what David prayed say David David prayed to God God remember don't remember or remember huh God David make up your mind do you want God to remember or don't remember so he says God remember your tender mercies but do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions, for He has crossed over, all right? And His sins were great. And then, according to Your mercy, remember me. So He's saying, God, please choose to remember the right thing. <laughs> Don't remember the sins of my youth. And you know, as we grow older, uh, we can pray this prayer <laughs> because some of the sins of our youth comes back to us. You know, I was just thinking. And meditating on this verse and I remember when I was a child I did some very bad things. It sounds strange to you, right? (laughs) Some very bad things. I don't want to mention because some of these children here listen and they think, I can do it also. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And it still comes back to me. So you know, this is what David is praying. He says, oh, when I was young I did some of those things. How could I have done it? What was I thinking? And the answer, I wasn't thinking. Because if I was thinking, I would not have done it, right? But worse is the fact that he transgressed knowingly. It was not just raging hormones of a teenager. Because some of his worst sins were committed as a mature man. Look at verse 11. This is what he says. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is what? It is what? It is great. You see, some of the worst sins that David committed was not as a teenager, but it was as a matured man when he finally became king. You see, when he was running away from Saul, he didn't have any opportunity to sin because he was too busy Escaping for his life. Are you with me? Now he was in the palace. And he had the power. And when he saw Bathsheba, he had the power to take her. Before that, he didn't have it. You see, some men were asked after, you know, they did some terrible things, you know. And the counselor or the friend asked, hey, why do you do it, why did you do it? You know it's bad. You know it's evil. And the man answers, because I could. Shocking, right? Because I could. Because before that, I couldn't. (laughs) Which means there was no opportunity. So the real test comes when the opportunity comes. So all his running away from Saul, the time running away, he was very upright. But now he had the opportunity, he saw Bathsheba, he took her, he committed adultery to cover up. He told a lie, sent an order uh, for the husband to come back. Hopefully, the husband will sleep with the wife, okay? Because there was a child that was conceived. Husband is so loyal, won't even go back and sleep with the wife. Then he said, this time my plan don't work. So write a letter to Joab. Okay, send him to the battle. And withdraw, let the enemy kill him, right? So, he committed murder. Some of the worst sins in his life was done as a matured man, knowing fully what he did, right? Premeditated. And no wonder he says, God, my sins, my iniquity is great, pardon. And only God's grace could have kept him from even worse consequences. We know that, of course, he paid a heavy price. You know, his life... Went downhill from that moment onwards, okay? And when we, think, when we pray such prayers, we have this assurance that God sent His only Son to take the penalty for our sins. Otherwise, hey, none of us can stand before Him. Amen? We, none of us can say, God, you know, you've got to accept me because, you know, I, I'm so good, I'm so upright. God sent His Son to take the penalty for our sins to the cross, and to die in our place so that when we believe in Him and when we receive His forgiveness, God says, okay, I choose not to hold this against you. So when David prayed, God, do not remember, he's saying, God, please have Alzheimer's. No. He's saying, God, even though you will always remember, but don't hold it against me. Don't hold it against me anymore. And this is for whose sake? Is for God's goodness sake. Verse 7. Look at it in the Bible. Why, why, why is David appealing to God? On what basis he says, for your goodness sake. Verse 11. For your name's sake. Because you are good. Now, as we come to the end of the psalm, we can see David is still, he's still waiting. We don't see him declaring, oh, finally, God, thank you. You have delivered me from my enemy. No. He's still waiting. So, how does this psalm end? In verse 22. What does he pray? Come on, look in your Bible. That's a good way to end your prayer when you're in trouble. Okay. What did he pray? What's he do? Come on, read out on your Bible. Redeem Israel. Oh God, out of all their troubles, he ends up praying not for himself, but praying for his nation. You see, no matter what you're going through in life, no matter how bad your situation, There are people who are suffering worse than you. Are you with me? So, when we pray for God to deliver us, we can also pray for other people who are in a similar situation. Can I say amen? So, we come to the end of the psalm. It teaches us to examine our hearts when we face troubles or when we are in a mess. Seek God for guidance. Come to Him humbly. Trust in Him. Declare who He is. So as we end this psalm, I want you to pray this psalm. Not the whole psalm. It's 22 verses, but I'll just extract from verse 1 to verse 7. So would you now pray this psalm together with me? Okay. You want to lift your hand for the first verse? Are you with me? Are you ready? Let's go. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Father, we ask that these words we etch in our hearts and that when we need to seek you for a way out and seek guidance and direction that you will bring us back to this psalm and make those same confessions because we know you are pleased and you gave David this psalm and you had it written into the Holy Scriptures so that we can also come to you in such times. Lord, may your word continue to speak to us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.